Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. The following program has been pre-recorded. Thanks for tuning in this weekend to Let's Talk Portland, Odyssey Portland's weekly public affairs program. I'm Gary Bloxham. The COVID-19 vaccine is widely available to anybody over the age of 12. But what about children? When is it going to be available for children under 12? And is it safe? We're going to answer a lot of those questions this time on Let's Talk Portland. On the show this time, I would like to welcome Dr. Nikki Nabavizade. Dr. Nikki is a pediatrician at Metropolitan Pediatrics. Hi there, Dr. Nikki. How are you? Hi, thank you so much for having me. Certainly. So I thought we would get started today by letting our listeners know about you. Tell me about uh, your practice and what you do as a pediatrician here locally. Great. Yeah, I'm a general pediatrician with with the Metropolitan Pediatric Groups out in Gresham. Um, I practice in general pediatrics and also do a little bit of care in the newborn nursery. Um, My day-to-day comprises of... um, seeing healthy newborn babies all the way up to um, healthy teenagers and young adults. Um, I also spend some time rounding in the hospital taking care of babies that have just been born as well. Um, Majority of our time we're spending uh, our appointments talking about ways to keep your healthy children uh, healthy throughout the years and you know also uh, addressing them and sometimes parents uh, were say when their children may not be feeling well or you know, we need to talk about um, higher levels of care. I would imagine this time of year, you're probably getting (laughs) ramped up and busy again because back to school is not too far away. Yes, yeah. So kids are coming in looking to get their well-child checks, um, getting sports physicals. And I think the other big important thing that we've been trying to support our families um, is to get children caught up on vaccinations that maybe they had delayed um, because of the pandemic that did come through. So... Um, we're trying to support our families and um, keeping kids as healthy as they can be to get them ready to go to school. Vaccines, including the COVID-19 vaccine, I'm assuming. Yes, exactly. Um, and we'll kind of talk about the details of the ages for that. But not only are the routine um, vaccines really important for our children as they start school, but also um, currently for the ages 12 and up, we really, really are trying to spend our efforts to educate families, patients of the need for the COVID-19 vaccine as well. At what ages do children get vaccines for, say, like uh, measles and whooping cough and all of that stuff? Are they various ages or pretty young? Yes. So um, we actually start the one of the first vaccines that you get is pretty much within an hour of life. And we give the hepatitis B virus uh, vaccine to children right as they're born. Um, From that point, there is a um, CDC vaccine schedule that uh, our clinic tends to follow. 
And that usually begins around the age of two months. And there's series that um, series of vaccinations that we like to offer our families, um, basically from two months all the way to the age of two. And then there's another series of vaccines that we do as kids get ready for school. So you, you will start to feel that um, under the age of two, um, there are a lot of vaccines that are given during the well-child check, but the underlining reason for that is these, vac- these viruses and bacteria that we're hoping to prevent with vaccines, um, they're the most dangerous for children under the age of two. So that's why we really try to um, inform and support our families to vaccinate their children as soon as possible. I had plenty of vaccines when I was a kid, but that was probably about a thousand years ago. I'm assuming uh, the way you administer vaccines is a little bit different now for kids. Is it less scary than it used to be? Um, our, you know, some of that is dependent on the patients and the families, but um, our clinic in, protect, in particular, as well as many pediatric clinics, really try to work with children and their families to try to make these experiences not traumatic, really trying ways to comfortably administer vaccinations um, so that, you know, families are feeling like they make the right decision for their um, for their children. So now let's pivot and talk about the COVID-19 vaccine, because that seems to be, well, of course, it's the big topic right now. That's what everybody's talking about, right? <laughs> so uh, what is the availability of the COVID-19 vaccine for children? Yeah, so um, right now, the only vaccine that is made available for children is the Pfizer vaccine, and it's been um, authorized for children over the ages of 12. Moderna is in the process of getting authorization as well, but right now we only have uh, COVID-19 vaccinations available for 12 years and above. We are hopeful um, that the age of vaccination will Um, start to decrease. You know, as of March of this year, um, there's been studies that have fallen um, both along Pfizer and Moderna that are hoping um, to help vaccinate our children down to six months. Um, We're hopeful that the authorization for these younger ages and possibly the school age um, will be uh, around October, you know, and for some of the younger ages, like six months, we're anticipating maybe early winter. Um, you know, but a lot of this um, depends just on um, what the scientific research shows us. And there's plenty of research going on right now. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Um, the, the March, as of March 2021, we're getting a lot of really hopeful, um, reassuring data right now that the vaccines are likely to be really, really safe at the younger ages and effective. We're talking today with Dr. Nikki, a pediatrician at Metropolitan Pediatrics. Dr. Nikki, why is the age of 12 the cutoff? Uh, that's just kind of what the the studies have been um, been uh, been shown to go down to currently. I think what we end up seeing is with the younger ages, um, people really researchers, science really wants to make sure as we decrease the ages um, before authorization of vaccines that they really are um, safe and effective. So I think in this stepwise approach, people are really able to feel like, the information that's presented, the recommendations that are made to vaccinate are done in a, in a really thoughtful, safe way. This vaccine uh, has been approved for emergency use. So what, is, mm-hmm. what is it, exactly does that mean? Um, so emergency use is it's, it's a little bit different than FDA approved. It still does go through the FDA. Um, it still is conducted with scientific, you know, with thorough scientific evaluations. Um, and it's 
still under the umbrella of the FDA. And so people should still feel confident um, that the vaccines still um, are meeting the FDA safety requirements, the FDA um, standards for manufacturing and the FDA standards for um, vaccines being effective. So it still kind of follows, falls under the same umbrella. It just hasn't been completely approved yet. Another question a lot of people have is this vaccine certainly came on board really quickly. How is that possible mm-hmm. and is it safe? Yeah, so I'll kind of break that down into safety first. So, um, you know, pretty much the only contraindication we're seeing for, and again, a lot of what I'm talking about is the Pfizer vaccine because that's the one that's been authorized for children. So pretty much the only contraindication, which means reason you should not, you should be thoughtful about vaccinating is um, allergy to certain components of the vaccine. And we're talking about severe allergies. Um, Clinics, places that do administer these vaccines are usually pretty prepared for any type of severe allergic reaction and itself is really rare for you to have a big um, allergic reaction to the vaccine. Um, vaccine, facilitators, vaccine facilitators screen for these, um, as well as many other uh, considerations about the vaccine as well. Um, you'll see when you go to get vaccinated, you're, you're asked um, a lot of questions, and a lot of these are mainly to ensure that when we are vaccinating you, we're vaccinating you at a time when your body is able to stimulate the appropriate response it needs to really protect you and help your body fight off coronavirus if it's seen. Um, you know, some of the other things where we want, I want to make sure we talk a little bit about in regards to safety is the difference between side effects and adverse reactions. You know, a side effect can be, you know, the typical of what we're hearing, which are some systemic side effects, which is like the not feeling well, muscle aches, um, some more of the local effects, which is like pain at the site of injection. All of those are signs that your immune system is turned on and learning how to protect you. Those are expected and not considered this kind of adverse reaction. And I think one of the biggest safety concerns that have come up for our teenagers and adolescents, so in adolescents, anybody over 12 years of age, um, is um, a concern that is a rare adverse, adverse reaction called myocarditis, which basically means inflammation around the heart lining. Um, this is a really rare adverse reaction, and honestly, it's even possible with natural coronavirus infection itself. And it's actually more deadly through the natural infection um, than any type of heart inflammation that we're seeing post-vaccination. Again, that heart inflammation post-vaccination is very, very rare. And for all the cases that we have seen, they t- it tends to resolve very easily with standard treatment if treatment is even necessary at all. Um, the kind of heart inflammation that comes from natural infection has been shown to even present itself more like heart failure and has been very, very hard to treat. So, Dr. Nikki, um, this is an mRNA vaccine. What does that mean? And is it safe? It sounds like something yes. new. <laughs> yes. So, mRNA vaccines themselves, um, you know, the, the Pfizer vaccine is a newer vaccine, but the, the science that has been used to develop these vaccines has been present for about oh, seven years or so, and it's based off of a lot of other studies and research that people have done um, for vaccines for other coronaviruses. Um, 
the mRNA vaccine is um, a little protein um, that's injected into your muscle, and the mRNA is it stands for messenger RNA, and it's basically a little protein that tells the cells in your muscle to make signals, um, and in this case, it's the spike protein. It sends these signals to help turn your immune system on to learn how to fight off coronavirus if, if seen. Um, this protein that's injected eventually degrades and it's no longer in your uh, body and doesn't linger in your body um, anymore. But what it does do is not only does it stimulate ways to protect your immune system if coronavirus is seen, but it also helps your immune system remember how to act like that, how to act to protect you from coronavirus um, down the line. And I think the big question right now that we're seeing is um, at what point does the mRNA vaccine maybe need a booster to remember how to protect your body? And what are, what are they thinking about boosters? I know that uh, Pfizer said yeah. not really until maybe next year. Yes. Yeah. So I think what we're seeing, right, there are, there are some vaccines, like for instance, the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine. You get two doses of that in your childhood and you're pretty much protected about 94 to 98% throughout life. So there are some vaccines that have been developed where you don't need boosters, right? There's other vaccines though, like the Tdap, where you tend to have to get the boosters every so often. Um, what we are learning and what we are just seeing with the pandemic in general is that time really will help dictate kind of what our next steps are. We just don't know, you know, we don't know what's going to happen, particularly as other strains tend to show that show themselves. But yes, I what we what I've been hearing as well is that it sounds like down the line, we still have some time before considering boosters. Dr. Nikki, tell me about the uh, the impacts of COVID-19 on children, not the vaccine, but the actual disease itself. Tell me about that with children. Yeah, so um, in regards to coronavirus in children, you know, we have seen that this tends to be more of an illness um, that tends to severely affect the adult population. Um, there are some theories on why this, why kids don't tend to get as sick from coronavirus um, as adults do. Um, there are some thoughts that they just don't mount as much of an immune response as adults do, or possibly children have some memory from other coronaviruses, so they just don't get um, as sick as regularly. However, with that being said, um, we are still seeing cases in children, you know, um, at the beginning of the pandemic, about 13% of the um, coronavirus um, illness was falling onto children and now it's about 22%. Of those, a third that do get infected get hospitalized. So I know we hear a lot of, oh, it's just a typical cold. It still can be a very severe illness in children. Um, luckily, the death rate is not that burdensome. It's only about 0.03%. But I think one of the biggest considerations and worries is the unknown long-term effects, um, particularly as variants pop up, how will that affect a child? Um, the other thing that we're seeing is children can also get long COVID or kind of fall under that long haulers umbrella that people are hearing, you know, that, it, that is more rare in children. It is about 1%, but we are even seeing about 30 to 50% of children that get coronavirus can still have some of their symptoms lingering up to four months following an infection. Um, you know, when I talk about this, I can't help but think about why we vaccinate 
newborn, like I was saying at that like one hour of life for hepatitis B, you know, back in, um, as you're learning about the hepatitis B uh, infection, it's kind of sometimes called a silent pandemic because a lot of the times people don't know they're infected with hepatitis B. And the reason we vaccinate at such a young age is if we can protect a newborn baby from hepatitis B at birth before they're exposed and don't even know they're exposed, their chances of developing liver cancer as they turn into adults significantly decreases, right? Because it's that burden of how long, for example, hepatitis B lives in the body that allows it to turn into liver cancer. Um, so I think when, when I think about coronavirus in children, I think about, well, what does it mean if a three-year-old gets infected? What is that three-year-old's body going to look like when they're 50 because of the infection they had, even if they had a, a simple course or maybe had no infection at all or no symptoms at all? You know, the other big thing that we're seeing um, is uh, that, that children can get severely ill from something called multi-system inflammatory syndrome. We've seen that occur in a, probably about 3,000 children. The majority do recover, but they do require significant ICU care. Um, and unfortunately, again, we don't really know what the long-term effects of getting this syndrome are. It can occur six weeks after an infection. Sometimes people don't even know that the, the children don't even know that they had COVID. Sometimes there's like a, a we'll get a history of maybe some parents, some some contacts in the family, parents, cousins were sick around that time. Um, and the kids most of the time don't even test positive at the, at the time that they're presenting with this syndrome. Um, it tends to look like a very scary shock-like state um, with things that really aren't what we think of a corona, coronavirus infection. So there's like, cough, upper respiratory tract infections, they're not really presenting with that. They're presenting with really, with fevers, abdominal pain, rashes, shortness of breath, um, other GI symptoms. Um, and for the most part, they are falling into this kind of category of really um, overt immune stimulation. And their major organs are getting hit really hard, particularly the most important being the heart, which leads to that kind of myocarditis that I was talking about a little earlier where the heart gets irritated, gets inflamed, and starts to fall in the realms of heart failure. So that, you know, of, of the spectrum of illness, kids can be asymptomatic to what, versus they can start to get this um, condition called multi-system inflammatory syndrome, or MISC, um, that um, can severely, severely impact their health. Um, like I said, the majority do recover, but it still can be a, a very dangerous illness with a very prolonged hospital stay. And that's kind of where the immune system just kind of goes crazy, right? Yes. Yeah. And it goes through all, all of your organ systems. But it, again, the most important one that it tends to affect is that, is that heart. We're talking today with Dr. Nikki, a pediatrician with Metropolitan Pediatrics. Now, with school not too far away, what's the role of vaccination with school safety? Yeah, so... Um, you know, the the U.S. population, I think 25% of the U.S. population is, is are, are, are fall into the realm of children. So children can still really drive infections. And we know that our public health measures just really aren't going to cut it. Um, so things such as, you know, screening, um, for screening for illness, working on hygiene, social measures like distancing and masking just, you know, are not going to cut it. We have never as a society, been able to really get rid of an infection without vaccination. Um, and if we think about it, if we're bringing this mass of children who, if they still remain unvaccinated, are brought together in closed spaces, we really are allowing this virus to kind of 
run unmitigated. And it's when the virus kind of runs unmitigated without barriers that it starts to really kind of try to thrive and live on its own. And that's where mutation comes about. And that, again, creates a bigger burden in society in regards to, you know, for example, the Delta variant is about twice as infectious and even more deadly. And unfortunately, if children are still going to be the ones that are going to be remain unvaccinated, the burden of that disease falls more onto them and the, the severity of that disease tends to affect them more. You know, the American Academy of Pediatrics really strongly endorses a safe return to school um, in order to kind of stifle all the educational loss and the, the mental health toll that, that children have just experienced through the pandemic. And, and part of that involves families uh, vaccinating their children, you know, not only for their family's sake, but also the sake of the community that um, children are exposed to at school. Well, could we talk about some misconceptions and some misinformation surrounding the vaccine? Because it seems like there's a a lot of parents out there, and not even parents, people just in general, who are scared of this Mm -hmm. vaccine and and don't want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, we we talk about that very regularly. And I um, one area that we always end up talking a little bit about are are for people that are kind of taking the more wait and see approach. You know, these are families that aren't flat out declining, but are just still really hesitant. And I, I think what the importance um, or what, what's important to remember is that the sooner we vaccinate, the sooner we can protect our population, the sooner we can keep the virus spreading amongst ourselves. And again, kind of looping back into what I was talking about, if we can keep the virus from circulating, we can keep it from mutating and creating these more um, dangerous strains that are going to be harder to manage. So, you know, as soon as you're made aware of a vaccine that's been that's safe, effective, you know, the sooner we can, the sooner we can get vaccinated and create barriers to mutation, you know, the better. I think it's kind of, we, we don't have time right now to feel like we can be bystanders in this. I think everybody has to take our role, not only for their family's sake, but for the community's sake. And what about some misconceptions, the ideas that people have about vaccines, that they're dangerous? Um, yeah, you know, a lot of that misinformation um, comes from places, you know, I think one statistic I had heard was, you know, 70, 60 to 70 percent of most misinformation comes from 12 people on social media. So a lot of it is, uh, you know, stemming from people that might have ulterior motives. Um, you know, there there are sometimes people that are pulling falsified scientific evidence as reasons for um, why vaccines are are not safe. Um, but, you know, I think the biggest thing is these misconceptions are, are coming 100% from misinformation. And I think, you know, the Surgeon General has recently just made a morning, warning that misinformation is a huge threat to our public health. Yeah. And I think what we need to do as a society is to just encourage each other to kind of think critically about where we're getting our information and help people that are around us, our neighbors, kind of engage um, in a healthy in a healthy way regarding their hesitation about vaccination. Um, and so I think one thing is, right, thinking criti- critically about where, what you're reading and where you're getting it from. And then I also kind of call upon um, some of our community leaders, you know, People like even an individual person in your small group that you feel like, you know, hey, I feel like I have factual information sharing that in your small circle. And then also just kind of setting up um, a, a comfortable dialogue between the person that you might know that's vaccine hesitant to try to help 
help them realize what some of their fears are. Um, you know, the, the research and evidence is there. It's just sometimes some of that information gets misconstrued and people are scared, rightfully so. And then what, what happens when you get scared is you just pause. And so I think helping people um, through the fear is, is the best way. If somebody wants to set up a time to get their children vaccinated, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so I think the easiest step would be um, to just touch pace with your pediatrician's office, your your child's primary primary health team. Um, some, sometimes it's a simple call to the front staff, to the nurses line. They'll let you know if their clinic carries the vaccine. Um, at this point, um, you know, there's been so many mass vaccination campaigns. Um, we're seeing vaccine events pop up even locally here in Oregon. Um, there's actually even websites that you can go to. So, for instance, there's one called getvaccinated.oregon.gov to help you find local venues. And it's really broken down based on which vaccines you're looking for. So, for kids right now, it would be the um, Pfizer vaccine. Um, and it's, it's based on, you know, how far you want to travel as well. You can also do something as simple as text um, your zip code to a number here. It's called 43829. Um, that's through um, vaccines.gov, and it'll it'll just alert you some uh, messages to your phone, or some text messages to your phone about um, nearby vaccination sites. It will also send you links to free childcare, free rides through Lyft and Uber to get you to the vaccination site in order to get your vaccine. You know, I want to remind everybody that these vaccines are free for everyone with and without insurance. Um, and you don't need any ID or proof of citizenship um, in order to get vaccinated. Awesome. Great, great information, Dr. Nikki. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you so much. We've been talking today with Dr. Nikki Nabavizadeh, pediatrician with Metropolitan Pediatrics. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just search for Let's Talk Portland on the Odyssey app. Let's Talk Portland is an Odyssey Portland public affairs program. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.